Proverbs 3, 11. The Bible says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. That same concept, that same theme is found again in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. Look down to verse number 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than, of, of, gain thereof than fine gold. She, speaking of wisdom, is more precious than rubies. And all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days are in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are always of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her and happy is everyone that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth by understanding hath he established the heavens by his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again, Lord, for this evening. We're thankful, Lord, that, Lord, in this world that we live in, Lord, you're the only real source of peace. We sure are grateful for your peace tonight, Lord, it passes understanding. Lord, we look at, I, Lord, I often look out at the world and wonder how in the world do them people do it? But how do they go through life without the presence of the Holy Spirit, without the comfort and the truth of God's word? Oh, Father, help us tonight, Lord, as Christians to, Lord, be truly grateful for the peace of God. It stills our hearts, it calms our fears, it strengthens our resolve. Lord, where would we be tonight without the peace of God? We ask you, Lord, tonight that you'd make preaching, Lord, what you desire it to be. I ask you, Lord, one more time, would you hide me behind the cross of Calvary? Lord, me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with your spirit. I pray, Lord, tonight you would help us leave out of here, Lord, encouraged, strengthened, challenged, convicted, changed. Lord, help us not to leave the same way we walked in. Lord, help us not to leave without what you've already prepared for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want you to look there at chapter 3. I want you to look right there at verse number 10. And we're once again here. He's talking to his son. My son, my son. He started the chapter that way. He says it here in verse number uh, 11. And then he says it again in verse number 21. He's talking to his son in chapter number 3. But you get down to verse number 11. He says, my son... Uh, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary, <clears throat> excuse me, of his correction. Now, I don't know about you, that word correction and that word chastisement, they bring some mental images to me. I hear those words and there's some things that instantly pop into my mind. And I, I brought those things with me tonight to show you what pops in I showed Jordan before service if he knew anything about this. And he said, no, sir, do you need me to take it out from underneath there? I said, you'll understand in just a few minutes. But here's some things, some images that pop into my mind when I hear the word chastisement or correction. First one is the belt of truth, right? The next one is the spoon of spirituality. Next one is Fly swatter of faith. <laughs> the last one that I brought tonight, <laughs> if I went off the list of everything my mama used, we'd be here all night. I got the sandal of sanctification. <laughs> now you say, preacher, what in the world does all of that mean? If you know what any of that can be used for, 
You understand where the mental image of chastisement and the mental image of correction, the mental image of discipline, all of those uh, words lead me into this area. And oftentimes that, ha- that is how our life. I heard Brother Kenny Baldwin say it one time. He said, you know how you're an independent or the difference between just a regular Baptist and a fundamental Baptist? He said, fundamental Baptists spank their children. He said, yeah, for the longest, that's what he thought you had, to be, you had to do in order to be a fundamentalist. You had to spank your children. Right? And, and now we live in America, and we've, we've become soft as a society. And I remember growing up, my dad, somebody gave him 10, opposite, or 10 other options instead of spanking your children. He made it a number two and just threw it away. But we understand, right? We, we, we understand the, the act of, uh, of, of spanking, the act of discipline, uh, and I think a lot of times, even in our, in our Baptist realm and even our, within our Christian circle, it gets misconstrued. It gets misused. It gets misapplied, right? And so we understand oftentimes growing up, I thought spanking was a punishment, right? I thought, you know, because I'd done something wrong, this is a punishment. And oftentimes we take our, our uh, underdeveloped, our, our, our not completely understood understanding of what we were shown as discipline, what we were shown as correction, and say, well, that's how God is going to discipline me. That's how God is going to correct me. And what we have to understand and I, as a, as a born-again child of God, that we, we, we sit on the, at our salvation and we say, thank God for grace, thank God for mercy, thank God for a God who would save somebody like me, and then we get saved all of a sudden. We think, well, now his grace is gone, his mercy is gone, God is sitting up in heaven just waiting for me to mess up. No, that's, I think that's a false ideology. I think that's a false representation, one of who, what God's heart is, but why God designed these things called chastisement and these things called correction tonight. Now, I do have to speak honestly with you tonight. We were at Good News Club a couple weeks ago, and we are talking about how God judged Israel, and he allowed them to be taken captive by Babylon. We're going through the life of Daniel at Good News Club right now. And we said, you know, God allowed the Babylonians to come in to capture Israel and Judah and to take them captive. And, and I, I began to ask those kids that were there, you know, all 40 of them, not at one time. But I said, when you do something wrong and you do something that is disrespectful or disobedient, what does your parent normally do? Well, some raised their hand and said, I get a spanking. <laughs> one little girl said, I get whooped. <laughs> I said, I know what you're talking about. Another little kid said, well, all my mom does is send me to my room. Another kid said, my parents just fuss at me. And here's the interesting thing. There is a, there's a distinct character trait or characteristic between those who do get spanked and those who don't. If I were to say, guess who the problem children are? The ones who, who never seem to follow the ups rules. Well, they're the ones that's, that that aspect is missing in their life. But I've also heard Christian parents stand and brag about how much they spank their children. I spank them every day, preacher. I'm keeping them in line. And then you find out they're spanking them for the same thing over and over and over again. You have to step back and say, there might be something wrong here. Right? Because the, the, the action of spanking or disciplining a child is what we're talking about here just for a few minutes, introduced us tonight when it comes to the Christian and God chastising us and disciplining us, that it's not God punishing us. Why? Christ took our punishment on the cross of Calvary. He took every person's punishment. He had the very wrath of God poured out on him so you and I would never know what that's like. 
Yet we know that God disciplines his children. One commentator said it this way. He said that God will never whip the children of Satan, but he sure will spank his own children. <laughs> Let me explain, Miss Georgia. Let me explain. We have to understand the, the action of discipline. Why, why would God allow these, these things or why would God put us through this? Because we have to realize the reality of why and the, and the purpose behind it. Think about it this way. It's not so much the quantity of the spankings you give a child, but the quality. I'm not saying you got to rear back and take the belt of truth all the way to heaven and bring it back down. But it, it, just the simple acting of itself without explanation, without instruction, without comfort and care afterwards, it doesn't accomplish the goal for why God designed it. We understand, well, we'll get into the book of Proverbs where it talks about the, the rod and sparing the rod, you'll spoil the child. But notice here tonight, we're, we're gonna look at this thought that discipline helps us to remember the things we're supposed to, we're not supposed to forget. Well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, you, you take verse number 11, he talks about chastisement and correction, and you take it to verse number one. My son, forget, not my law. How many of you remember as a child that <laughs> you can't remember everyone you got? But there's some of them you'll never forget. And you'll never forget why you got those spankings. Why you got those. I remember one time me and my brother didn't clean our room. And back in those days, you couldn't just text my, your spouse at work and it'd be a private manner. My mom had a call where my dad was working at at the time. We were living in Colorado. He was working on Fort Carson. And they ended up going through the, the, the first sergeant, talked to this sergeant, talked to that. So finally got a hold of my dad. By that, everybody he, he had worked with knew that his boys were at home disobeying and being disrespectful. And so it just marinated all day long. I remember we seen his truck pull up and I told my brother, I said, listen, hold on to the bed. He said, I, he can't whip both of us and he can't lift all of us up. My dad proved me way wrong. He walked in there, grabbed the mattress, lifted us up with the mattress, whooped the mattress until we dropped the mattress, and then he will proceed to whoop us. <laughs> I'll never forget that. But here's the thing. <laughs> I don't think my dad did it biblically. I don't think my dad was spiritual when he did it. And there was, I don't think any instruction. I know I got, our room wasn't clean. That's what I got, I got, we got in trouble for, but it didn't last. Two weeks later, it was the same thing. Right, so we have to realize in our Christian life, in essence, God isn't sitting up in heaven with the, 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 the sandal of sanctification saying, come on, let's go, come on. I've been waiting on this. But rather when he disciplines us, he corrects us and he, he chastises us, he does it with a purpose. So we, would not for, so we will not forget his promises, what he's told us in his word. I want you to notice three things tonight about this wisdom gained through discipline. Right, we, we, we'd probably say it this way in the mind. There's some things you just have to learn the hard way. Right, there's sometimes in the Christian life, right, we're, we're gonna just gonna have to learn these things. We don't have to, but we'll choose to learn them the hard way. And I think there'll be lessons that we never forget. Notice number one, the correction of wisdom. And so oftentimes, like I said, you know, I've brought these things out tonight and, you, and it autom automatically brings up that negative thought of spanking, whoopings, or whatever you call it growing up, whatever you call it now. But it brings up that negative connotation of it, right? There's these corrective actions, these disciplinary 
actions. But the word correct, the word chastisement, they, they, are, they are maybe negative actions, but they're actually positive words. They're words that have a great purpose behind them. Corrective action is actually more positive than negative because in and of itself, words like correction and chastisement and discipline are to take those negative things in our life and turn them into positives. Turn them into good things. Give us the understanding that we need. Verse number 11, here's what Solomon tells his son. He said, hey son, appreciate chastisement in your life. Appreciate discipline in your life. Notice what he says right there in verse, despise not. Is what he says right there in verse 11. My son, despise not. That means to don't reject or don't refuse. Right, now listen, those, those things that are done right, and, and here's the thing tonight, everybody from the youngest to the oldest has to understand that when you look at mom and dad, mom and dad are not God. Right, mom and dad are, 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 have a flesh, they have the capability of losing their temper, they have the capability of doing it the wrong way. We're not, we're not talking about a physical disciplinary action here, but rather we're talking when God, as his children, takes us and sits us down and chastises us. God always does it right. God always does it out of the right heart and the right spirit and for the right reasons. And so he said, hey, hey son, don't, don't reject it and don't refuse it when God begins to deal with you. God begins to straighten things out in your life. And he despises not what? The chasing, that's the correction, the discipline. Think about it this way. Not all correction is a bad thing or a negative thing. Right now, on my eyeballs, I have, got, I have glasses. They're not just pieces of plastic. They're not just for looks. They are corrective lenses. Now, I can take them off, and I can see y'all just fine. I can see the words on my paper if I squint real hard, right? But the reason why they gave them to me, the, the doctor didn't say, all right, we're going to take these on. We're going to screw them onto your head. You have no choice in the matter, right? Here's what he told me. He said, Mr. Wagner, uh, your, your vision's not too bad. You have astigmatism in one eye. He said, you're nearsighted in one and farsighted in the other. He said, we can put corrective glasses on. He said, but you don't have to, but you very well, if you don't treat it now, if you don't deal with it now, sooner or later, it may give you a lazy eye. It'll cause things to get worse. So in essence, his corrective action, he had to be honest with me. He had to be truthful with me. But the choice was mine. And the same is true in your Christian life. God is going to desire to, to chastise you and correct you and discipline you for a greater purpose and a greater good, but it's up to you and I whether or not we're going to receive that. Are we going to despise it not? Are we going to receive it? Then he says, don't become weary. Look at verse number 11. Uh, My son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. The word weary means to loathe. Right, and, and to dread, like, oh, oh, here we go again. What have I done now? But that word correction literally means for God to prove himself right. We have to realize tonight, we, we, we get saved, we live for God for a little bit, we go to church, we tithe, we go to Sunday school, we sing in the choir, we, we, we do uh, outreach ministries, we, we do this, we do that, we give out gospel tracts, and somewhere along the line, we, we feel like we've stepped out of growth into perfection. There's nothing I can possibly do wrong in my Christian life. What you have to realize is that we are so far, far, far from perfect. We're not even close. And so the fact that God loves somebody like me that much, that he's consistent in his correction, 
He's consistent in his discipline. He's consistent in his chastisement. I ought to not loathe that, right? I ought not to dread it when the Holy Spirit begins to deal with my heart. He begins to say things like, hey, we don't do that no more, or, or, or don't go that way, don't choose that. He said, because in doing so, you're going to miss out on an opportunity for me to show you how great and mighty I am, to prove myself to you. In essence, tonight, when we allow God's corrective work in our life, it produces a wisdom that we can appreciate, a wisdom that we won't forget. Then verse number 12 shows us the actuality of correction. Right, the actuality, the real, the reality of correction. Look at verse number 12. For whom the Lord loveth, <clears throat> he gives nice things to. For, the who, for who the Lord loveth, about to go televangelist on you, he'll give you a brand new house, a brand new car, all the money in the world. What's it say right there, verse number 12? For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. He corrects. He straightens out. He fixes he deals with, even as a father, as, the, as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. <laughs> Preacher, how can I know my mama and how can I know my daddy loved me? They corrected you. They didn't let you just walk through life, either ignorantly or, or let you walk through life wrong. They said, hey, that ain't right and we're not going to do that. But we're not going to do those things. We were talking about a situation within our family uh, that, that we know, not directly inside of our home, but a choice was made to go and do something and, and be somewhere else on a Wednesday night. And my wife said, well, I, I hope we, we can raise our children in such a way that they wouldn't even ask to go. They know that Wednesday nights are for the Lord, for church. And not just because it's the right thing to do, because they realize how great the need is in their life to do those things. Uh, and to be in church. But the actuality of correction, see, love doesn't pretend problems don't exist. Real love fixes problems. Real love calls out the issue, deals with it, gets it straightened out. <laughs> you ever seen somebody going through the store and you looked at their, at their outfit and said, they must not have anybody in their life who loves them. Let them walk out the house like that. Or do we, let's say you've got spinach all covering up your front tooth. Would you rather just let somebody, let uh, nobody tell you, you walk through the whole day looking like that? Or you let somebody say, hey, before you go anywhere, you need to fix that. You look like you're, you're missing something there. But in essence, that's what real love is, right? It is, it is saying, listen, there's an issue here, and we can't go no further until it gets resolved. And it gets fixed. That's how, that's how we know God loves us, right? When we, when we disobey, when we choose our flesh, when we begin to go in the wrong direction, we know that he loves us because he deals with us. I don't think any Christian will ever get out into the world, will ever backslide without first the Holy Spirit saying, hey, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't say those things. And so we see tonight the, the, the correction of wisdom. Aren't you glad that God loves you enough to correct you? I'm glad God don't let me walk around. Now, he will because I, I, he, he's a perfect gentleman. If I choose that and choose that, he'll let me, he'll let me make my choice. But at first, he's going to extend out an arm of correction or a hand of chastisement and say, hey, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go that way. We see the correction of wisdom tonight. Then notice number two, the choiceness of wisdom. See, wisdom gained through correction 
Wisdom gained through God sitting us down and disciplining us and instructing us and talking to us and correcting us from his word tonight is a wisdom that we, we value highly. Right, I guarantee you, you need young people to go find some of these older people and ask some things that they had to learn the hard way. We've all got a list of those things. And we, we'd much rather you learn those things from us talking to you and teaching you rather than you go out and then do it for yourself. But we see, well, well, notice here, verse number 13. Now, what is the direct result of corrective wisdom? Look at verse number 13. Happy. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. That goes against what the world teaches, right? The world tells you, you ask the world, where do you find happiness? Well, in whatever makes you feel good. Whatever tickles your fancy. Well, it's, it's a thing, it's a something, it's, it's an item, it's a, it's a material, carefree, where you have no issues, no, no worries, no responsibilities. That is happiness. Here God tells us through his word that real happiness or a, a source of happiness is when God corrects us and puts us on the straight path again. Well, I'm glad for the times the Holy Spirit showed up in my life and kept me from making a, a wreck of my life through conviction through his word, dealt with my heart, and I responded. I wish that I could say I did that every time. And I haven't, but I sure am glad for the times that I have. And it's kept me from a wreck. And here's the thing, correction helps us to realize the value of wisdom in the joy of understanding and joy in understanding it. See, verse number 14 tells us of this, this corrective wisdom that we gain. It tells us the value of it. In verse number 14, it talks about, for the merchandise of it is better then the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof of fine gold. That word merchandise is the understanding of profit, what you gain from it, what, what you inherit from it. In essence, you, you've made a profit off it. It says it has more profit than silver and fine gold. Well, preacher, what's the difference between gold and fine gold? Fine gold has been through the fire. It's been refined. It is far more valuable. Tonight, if you were to go out and dig in the, in the creeks and dig in the mountains, you might find a little speck of gold, and it'll be worth something, no doubt. In today's economy, it'd be worth a whole lot. But you take that same small piece and you put it in the fire and you refine it and you turn it into something like jewelry, something like a ring tonight, it is far more valuable. You'll pay a whole lot more for a ring than you will for a nugget. And we'll see tonight here, here's God saying, listen, my, my wisdom and what you gain from allowing me to correct you is more valuable than that. And it is true tonight because you can't find that kind of wisdom in the world. You can't find that wisdom anywhere else, right? And, the, and the, the, the source of it is what brings the value to it. We see the value of wisdom. We recognize the preciousness of wisdom. Look at verse number 15. Wisdom, or she, is more precious than rubies. And all things that canst desire are not to be compared under her. Precious, the preciousness of, of wisdom. That word, that phrase, more precious, means costly, bright, excellent. Rubies or jewels, they are made for display. I was watching a documentary last night. I don't know if it's considered a documentary or not, but it was about a bank heist or the, a heist of a hotel in New York City. Preacher, why were you watching that? I was just trying to get some backup plans, amen? Uh, <laughs> in case things go south real fast. But they had, they had, they had planned a heist of a, a tower, a hotel in New York City. And they said they, they made off with almost $10 million in jewels. And the reason why was because it was the day after New Year's Eve. All the famous people that were staying there 
were in bed asleep and they had taken all their jewels and precious things and no longer were they on display, but rather they had took them and put them in a safe deposit box and that's exactly what those burglars went for. And can I say in our Christian life, God doesn't give us wisdom, right, so we can go take it and hide it somewhere and not ever use it, but rather he said when you realize the value of wisdom, you'll treat it as a ruby. You'll be wanting to show everybody what God has done for you how God has helped you and how God has, uh, has dealt with you and how through, through correction and chastisement, God revealed his love for you and the lessons that you've learned from it. You'll show it off like a ruby. Uh, if you've ever, you know, I've never had a, a diamond ring, but I gave one to Miss Becky and Miss, Miss Caitlin got one not too long ago and she was showing that thing off to everybody. Here's my ring, look what he got me. That's what he's done for me. And the same is true in our Christian life. We don't have a physical thing we can go show off, but man, we can sit down and talk to people and say, listen, you don't have to go down the same road I went down. God has, 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 has helped me and God has, God has shown me something. He's corrected me and I want, to tell you, I want to show you what God can do for you if you just listen to him. And so we see here tonight the, the preciousness of, of wisdom. Then we realize the blessings of wisdom. Verses 16 through 18 Solomon gives us some blessings of wisdom. First of all, length of days are in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. That's how great wisdom is. It don't have just a single-handed blessing. It's got blessings out of both hands. Right, let me ask you tonight, if you had to pick, would you rather have a cookie in one hand or a cookie in both hands? Right, we want all the blessings we can get. Well, it's tied to wisdom, not in God correcting us and allowing God to correct us in our lives and not becoming weary of it, not becoming a, a cold Christian. See, oftentimes we take a cold heart as to one who does not care about sinners. No doubt that application can be made tonight, but the same is true to the Christian who no longer cares for God's correction in their life. That's, that heart's just as cold. See, wisdom has a double blessing, length of days in the left hand, riches and honor in the right hand, or might, might have got it vice versa tonight. Wisdom produces a peaceful way. Look at verse number 17. Her ways are of, of pleasantness. It's a pleasant walk. Boy, I, I can attest tonight, walking in the truth of God's word sure is pleasant, isn't it? It brings a peace that the world can't understand. Look, it goes on saying all, not some, not a, a third, but all of her paths are peace. Wisdom only points to one direction, peace. That's why it's necessary for the Christian to be a wise and to, to have, God. if any man lack wisdom, I guarantee you tonight, if, there is, if worry is a con constant source and control of your life, there's a lack of wisdom somewhere. Why? Wow, wisdom points to peace. We realize the blessings of wisdom has a double blessing. It's a peaceful way. Then look at verse 18. We see the availability of wisdom. Well, who can have wisdom? She is a life to, of them that lay hold upon her. Man, we, we, we talked about it in chapter one about asking for wisdom and, and it's not just a simple, all right, Lord, here's wisdom. Rather, you seek it. You lay hold on to it, right? You, you pursue it as a great treasure. You give all that you have towards it. And he, uh, verse number yeah, 20, excuse me, verse number 18, she has life unto them that lay hold on her and happy is everyone that retaineth her. <laughs> That's a true statement now. You find someone who's full of wisdom, they tend to be happy because they know what God's word says. They know how it applies to them. They know how, that, how they can practically put it into practice in their life. You know, so preacher, I, I, I've experienced God's wisdom. Where, where is your happiness at? Right, where's your happiness at tonight? With, to them, are, are you one of them tonight who are laying hold to wisdom? Let me ask you that. Does your value of wisdom need to be corrected? Does God need to sit down with you and have, have a time of correction and say, listen, you say you want wisdom, but your actions say something else. I'm glad tonight God will sit you down and say, hey, listen, it's time to get these things right. 
And when that result and that process is done, you'll come through it and you'll say, listen, I've got to tell somebody what God's done for me. He has corrected me. And, and through his correction, I realize how much he loves me. And yet you want, you want to share that. So we see the choices of wisdom. We see the correction of wisdom. Then notice number three tonight will be done. The classroom of wisdom. The classroom of wisdom. Preacher, I'm done going to school. Well, hang on a second. This is a school you want to attend. Verse number 19 and 20. He brings up these things. and It said, verse number 19, The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, and by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. Here's the thing about wisdom, right? God's wisdom. It takes people like me and you who, who don't really know much, right? There's, there's a lot we can't explain, the, the intricacies of things and all that kind of stuff, and yet it gives us this wisdom that makes perfect sense. Now, it don't make sense to the world, but it makes perfect sense to us. And really, that's the irony of the human intellect, right? We, the humans are, are intelligent beings. We are, they, they are smart. They, are, they can be educated. Think about this. A human invented that phone that's probably in your pocket or next to you tonight. Tell me how that thing works. In depth, in detail. Somebody did. Somebody sat down and said, if you put this to that, connect this to there, put it all together in a quarter-inch thing, it'll work just fine. Or like somebody sat down and said, you know what? We can take that person's heart out, take that person's heart out, switch them, and everything will be fine. Right? It's amazing what the human mind can come up with. The engineered car was engineered by a human being. Somebody sat down and said, if you put gas in here, you have fire here in the side of that, and this will go, and that will go, and they'll be able to go down the, work, uh, down the road. And somebody said, you know what? I can do that faster than you. They build a bigger motors and bigger engines and all that wonderful stuff. Think about this. Human intellect has been able to put a rocket into space. It can shoot down a Chinese balloon, too. <laughs> right? <laughs> how many would feel confident sitting down and say, all right, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out how to put a rocket into orbit. Ain't, ain't me, but somebody can sit down and do that. It amazes me, those kind of things. Right? The, the intellect of the human mind, how, how they can come up with these things. And yet, all these complex things and that same human intellect struggles with the creation of man. There's no way that we are created by, we had to be through evolution. Right? They struggle with that. They, they struggle with the existence of God. In my day and age, it seemed like the more educated you were, the sign of that was the more you denied God. The reality is the more you learn about the things of this world, you know why they can put a rocket into space? You know why they can make a motor? You know why they can develop a, a phone in the, in the sense that we have it today? Because God established an order in this place called Earth. There are rules that you and I can't break that God uses to maintain these things. It's through that order and through that law that man can sit down and say, all right, well, we've got to put a, a rocket at this angle because the winds are coming this way. Well, who made the wind? God did. So whether they realize or not, the very things they use to produce, to make their things, are, they're really giving the, 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 the glory back to God. He's the one that created the creation of God, the existence of, or the creation of man, the, the existence of God, the veracity of the scriptures. There's a word that you'll win scrabble with. Veracity, the truth of the word of God. The more educated a man comes, he says, you can't really trust that book. There's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of what, what's the word I'm looking for? A whole lot of errors and a whole lot of contradictions. And it's funny when they say that, well, name me one. Normally they'll say, well, you know, they're in there. <laughs> it's not good evidence. Right, but, but what, why is that? Well, they lack wisdom. They lack God's wisdom. And yet as a born-again child of God, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me and tells me this word is true. 
It's amazing. They'll say, well, no, no, it was millions of billions of years ago. Well, give me the record of it. Tell me who was there to make sure it was 6.5 billion years ago. Well, you can't do that. Well, I've got a record in my book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? It's through God's wisdom. And I look at the same exact thing they're looking at. <laughs> they look at the Grand Canyon. They say millions of years, that little Colorado River cut that thing out. I was saying, no, it was a flood. A worldwide flood split that thing wide open. Well, it was millions of years ago, Mount Everest came out to where it was. Man, go read your Bible. God caused all those things to happen. Right? And we look at the same thing, and, 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 and through wisdom, we're like, this makes complete sense. Obviously, you can see the hand of God in this. And they'll say, no, you can't. You can't do that. But yet, they have no proof behind it. And as a born-again child of God, through, through God's word, and as I sit in the classroom of wisdom, <laughs> listen, if, if God was right about my sin, and God was right about my condition, <coughs> and God was right about who I am and what I've done, I have no reason to doubt him in the beginning. I have no reason to doubt him in the future. And it's, it's interesting. It gives us, there's a comfort that comes with that. That if God was in control in the beginning and God's in control now, then God will always be in control. Look at verse number 20. By his knowledge, the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. <laughs> How many of you love watching the weatherman? How many of you love it when they're wrong? Now, I'm glad when they're wrong when it comes to severe storms and, and tornadoes and hurricanes. You know, they draw those spaghetti maps and there's lines going everywhere. The hurricane can go through one of those paths. Oh, really? <laughs> Let's narrow it down to at least two of those. But, you know, I don't mind it necessarily, except for when I got things planned. And they said, well, you probably need to cancel all your outside plans. It's going to rain and not a single drop. Or it's going to be sunshine and all of a sudden the bottom falls out. And here's the thing, they've got these models, they've got these maps, they've got all these different technology, radars, all that wonderful stuff, and they're still just guessing at it. And we see this, right? And we think, man, they went to school for this, they've got to be smart, and there's no doubt there's education there. But where does rain come from? Where does it, who's in control of it? Not the weather station, not China, but God is. God's in control of those things. And you think about it this way, I, I, I got curious. And I'm thinking about the, the weather scenario, right? What's the big thing? Global warming. It's going to destroy the earth. It's going to destroy the earth. And I mean, I, I've heard that since I was growing up. Earth Day, we was out there planting trees and flowers. We were trying to save it. <laughs> I said, well, when did this idea that global warming was going to end the world? Where did this come from? Well, in 1972, the UN came together. 1972, they said, if we don't change things now, and if we don't give $100 billion, is what they said, to global warming and the uh, uh, financing environmental things, the world, in 1972, they said the world was going to end in 1982. Did it end in 1982? <laughs> Y'all don't have to tell me I wasn't there. <laughs> I wasn't alive yet. But the fact that you're here, I, I can tell it didn't end. Well, so then they said, well, 1982, since it didn't happen in 1982, it was going to happen in 2000. Then come 1989, they said, oh, no, not 2000, 1999. And then in 19, uh, and then in 2007, after 1999, after 2000, I mean, 2000 was supposed to end everything. If it wasn't global warming, it was Y2K. Now we're all still here. They said, well, in 2007, we've only got five years left. In 2012, the world's going to end. It didn't. 
Why? They have no idea. Well, preacher, when's the world going to end? When God says it's going to. <laughs> I'd rather take him. He's always right. I'd rather just wait on him. <laughs> Lord, you know this thing. Preacher, you going to be here? Oh, no, I ain't going to be here for it. <laughs> As Earl Hughes would say, I'll be gone. Now I'll come back on my white, my white horse, amen. I'll ask the Lord for some stirrups and some chaps and a cowboy hat. In white, Lord, please. <laughs> One preacher said, I'll leave out here like Superman. I'll come back like Lone Ranger. <laughs> I'm about to say Tonto. <laughs> Same movie, wrong character. But let me ask you now, which, which classroom would you rather sit in? The classroom of this world that'll tell you a whole lot of things and won't do anything with worry, won't do anything with fear, won't do anything for peace, won't do anything for joy and happiness. I'd rather sit in the classroom of wisdom. Even if that classroom requires correction. God's sitting down telling me, hey, you ain't right. I am. You need to listen to me. If you don't, you don't have to. You can go out and live your life how you want to. But if you'll just listen to my wisdom, you can have peace and happiness and all the things the world can't offer to you tonight. So we have this wisdom through discipline. <laughs> go home tonight, grab you a wooden spoon. And tell the Lord, thank you for chastisement. Grab the belt and say, Lord, thank you for correction. Because Lord, through those processes, God, I've got a truth and a wisdom this world doesn't offer.